Grace and peace and welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. My name is Taylor Mertens. I serve as the pastor here at Cokesbury, and I'm delighted that you have decided to join us for worship today, whether you're joining us on Facebook or on YouTube. Uh, today is the day that the Lord has made, and we are here to rejoice and to be glad in it. Uh, we are still in the midst of a sermon series on the politics of Jesus. It will be concluding next week with Christ the King Sunday. Uh, but we've been looking at uh, what it means to be people in the world. That's kind of what politics is. A polis is a, a way of being. And so we've been looking at the lections from the Gospel of Matthew to figure out more about who we are and whose we are. Uh, there are a number of things that are going on in the life of our church that I want to share with you. The first being that there is a, a, an online bulletin that you can access through the video description. That bulletin will contain our, our hymn, scripture, prayers, all that sort of good information. So if that's helpful for you, I encourage you to open it so that you can reference it during our service. Uh, we continue to make live uh, Facebook videos during the week. We're sending out regular email devotionals. And, of course, we have Sunday worship. And we're starting to put together our plans for what it will look like uh, to worship on Christmas Eve this year without being able to gather in person as we have in years past. So all of that information you can find on our website or on church Facebook page. So I encourage you to, to look some of that stuff up if it is at all helpful for you. Also, as I shared last week and the week before that and the week before that, because of the current economic situation of the country that we find ourselves in, also the community that Cokesbury is in, uh, the church is in serious need of additional funds, additional revenue. Uh, we've relied on other ways of making up revenue in the past that are no longer possible because of the coronavirus. Uh, but as we're getting close to the end of our calendar year, and in particular the end of the liturgical year, uh, we are in serious and desperate need of additional gifts from people like you who are joining us for worship. Uh, you can give to the church uh, online. The link for doing so is in the video description. Uh, you can also uh, send a check through the mail to the church, or if you live locally, you can bring your offering by. We have a drop box by the main office doors. But I, I really strongly urge you to consider uh, making a gift if you haven't yet or making more of the gift than you have in the past because Cokesbury truly, truly needs it uh, during this season. Uh, with that, thinking about money, I want to share a brief story. Uh, this is a story I've, I've loved to tell over and over again because it's just 
So good. There once was a man who amassed a great fortune throughout his life, uh, but he never married. He never had children. Uh, and so uh, as he got older, he had nieces and nephews who knew that they were going to inherit all of his wealth. And so they started planning and scheming all the things they were going to do with his money. And it got to the point that they all started to hope that he would just, that he would just go ahead and die so they could get what was really theirs. And finally, sure enough, he actually died. And the nieces and the nephews, they all go to the reading of the will. And uh, the lawyer stands up and he says, To my nieces and nephews, I bequeath my entire library. And they say, library? What? What? No, we're supposed to be getting a cold, hard cash, baby. I don't want books. And they all storm out because they'd all made these plans about what they were going to do. And instead, all they got were books. So they're all frustrated, except for the youngest nephew. He just kind of said, okay, I guess I'll take all the books. So truckload after truckload after truckload of books were delivered to his apartment. So many, in fact, that he had to stack them from the floor to the ceiling. It kind of became a new wallpaper. And with every passing year of his life, he began to resent those books more and more because even he started thinking about what he could have done with all the money. And he wondered, where did my uncle, what did he do with all that money he had amassed? And it got to the point one day that he walked over and he just grabbed a random book off the shelf. And he kind of looked at it and in a bit of frustration, he took it and he just threw it, just threw it as hard as he could against the wall. And when it hit the wall, it exploded, paper, binding, it just went everywhere. And he sighed, and he knew he had to clean it up, so he walked over to pick up the book, and on the ground, he discovered a couple hundred dollar bills on the floor. And he thought, that's strange, those don't belong to me. And then he realized they were in the book. So he takes the next book down off the shelf, the next book down, he grabs by the binding and he shakes it and hundreds and hundreds of dollars start falling onto the floor. His uncle's entire fortune were hidden in the books. I've told that story before because I kind of feel like that's the kingdom of God sometimes, that it's, it's really in our midst. We only need to uh, open our eyes to it. Uh, it's right kind of there, but, you know, sort of lurking beneath the service behind the, the title of a book. But I, I share it today because sometimes I think, too, like, what a shame for the uncle. I mean, I get, I get the point of the story, but those gifts could have been used for other things, and not just to bless his own family, but to bless others who do not have what they possibly could and what they possibly need. Today, we're going to be reading about the parable of the talents to think seriously about what God has given to us and, and what we're doing with it. That's a very, very difficult question for us to ask ourselves, but one that we do need to ask. So with that, I encourage you to find a comfortable posture as you continue to prepare your hearts and minds for worship this day. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful, wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Lord, you see us and you hear us, you know us, each and every one of us, better than we know ourselves. Yet you love us even though we truly have not deserved it. You have helped us, are helping us, and will continue to help us when again and again we are about to ruin every little thing by wanting to be the masters of our own universe. But you are the judge, the judge of us, but also the savior of us, the poor and the confused. And we thank you for that, O Lord, and we praise you for that. And all of us today, we look forward on that great day to feasting with you and all the saints at your heavenly banquet, the Supper of the Lamb. 
And now, Lord, each of us will pray to you, lifting up our own joys and concerns this day, whether silently or aloud. And as you taught us, Lord, so now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As I noted earlier, our scripture reading today is the parable of the talents. This is from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. So hear now God's holy word. Good morning, everyone. Long time no see. Um, I hope we're all staying safe during these crazy times. Uh, Taylor had recently reached out to me and asked if I could read today's scripture. So I'll be doing exactly that. Um, if you'd like to follow along, today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 25, and I will be reading verses 14 through 30, which is also known as the parable of the talents. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called the service and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money to another two talents and to another one, one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also, the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents bought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, Here's what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that, har that I harvest where I have not sown and you gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with, with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has been given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, 
even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. <laughs> Our hymn today is number 467 in the United Methodist Hymnal. 467, it's trust and obey for there's no other way. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with the words, the words are printed in the online bulletin, but now I encourage you to join me over on the drums as uh, we sing and play together, Trust and Obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in jesus but to trust and obey not a burden we bear not a sorrow we share but a toil richly repay not a grief or a loss not a frown or a cross but is blessed if we trust and obey trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in jesus but to trust and obey never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay for the favor he shows for the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in jesus to trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go, never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A businessman decides that it's high time for him to go on a vacation. So he goes down to the bank, he takes out all of his assets, all of them, and he calls three of his employees to a meeting. Look, he says to the three of them, I'm getting out of town for a little while. Hawaii should be rather nice this time of year. And while I'm gone, I'm entrusting all that I have to the three of you. 
So he takes an overstuffed duffel bag and he drops in the lap of employee number one. He says, to you, I'm giving $5 million. He takes a briefcase. He tosses it across the conference table to employee number two. And he says, you're getting $2 million. And finally, he takes a manila envelope, lays it in the lap of employee number three and says, you, you're getting $1 million. But before walking out the door with his Hawaiian shirt tucked under his arm and thoughts of strawberry daiquiris dancing in his head, he says, now remember, remember, this is all that I have. So I'll see you when I get back. Immediately, employees one and two start wheeling and dealing. They're sending email after email. They're scanning through the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post. They can barely keep track of who they're on the phone with. They start working so hard. But employee number three... Employee number three does the prudent thing, the smart thing, the wise thing. He, he gets into his car, checks his rearview mirror constantly until he drives off into the middle of the woods. He pulls off on the side of the road, noting a particularly funky-looking tree that will help him find the spot in the future. He trudges off into the woods, digs a big hole in the ground, and he buries the middle envelope with $1 million dollars. Time passes, and eventually the businessman returns home with a nice tan and a few extra pounds around his waistline, and he calls his three employees to a meeting. Employee number one, he shows up with a few extra duffel bags. Employer number two has upgraded from his briefcase to a duffel bag. And employee number three, he shows up covered in mud with a shovel over his shoulder and the same, albeit very dirty, manila envelope. So the boss kicks his flip-flopped feet uh, up onto the conference table, and he opens his hands as if to say, So, how'd it go? Employee number one steps forward and says, Boss, I took the $5 million you gave me. I invested it in some highly volatile markets. I purchased some maybe questionable real estate. I started a few local businesses, and today... Boss, I am proud to share with you that I was able to double what you gave me, and now I have $10 million. Hot tamales, the boss exclaims. Well done, well done. You've been very faithful, so I'm giving you a promotion. You get that fancy office at the end of the hallway, and tonight, you and I, we're going out for a few drinks to celebrate. Employee number two steps forward. Boss, I took the $2 million you gave me, and I called up my bookie, and I made some bets. Now, at first, things didn't look so good. I had, I had this really great feeling about one horse, and I nearly lost it all. But then I wisened up. I started making smaller bets on some different races, some different games, some different matches. And sure enough, I was able to double what you gave me. So here's $4 million. Yahtzee! The boss bellows, awesome sauce, you've been faithful like your coworker. so I'm going to give you a promotion as well. You're now the head of your department, and you can, you can have my old office. Oh, and you should come out for some celebratory drinks tonight, and if we're having a particularly good time, maybe you and I can call up that bookie of yours, and we can make some bets together. And then employee number three steps up. Hey, boss, he says sheepishly, here you go. I kept your one million safe, so safe, I buried it in a field and it never saw the light of day. Now, to be clear, boss, I did this because I know you. I've been working here for 20 years and I know that you can be one tough cookie. I know that you like to take over departments that are underperforming, that you like to box out uh, other local businesses. So I thought, I thought it would be wise to play it safe this time. 
Because if you're the kind of boss I know you to be, then I know you would go on quite a tear if I lost what really belongs to you. And so, dear boss, I am returning what you gave to me just as you gave it to me. And he drops his dirty manila envelope onto the table. No, the boss says. No, 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 you just ruined the buzz of my vacation. If you knew that I was supposedly so tough that I take what doesn't belong to me, that I expect a lot from those who have received a lot, then why didn't you at least put my money in a savings account? 4% interest is still better than 0%. Now you got me all fired up. But you know what really grinds my gears? I invited you into a a, a relationship with me, a faith-filled relationship with me, a relationship you didn't deserve one bit. A million dollars is a lot of money, but I trusted you with it. It was a remarkable gift, but what did you do with my gift? You decided to be more afraid of me than the risks. You played it safe because of some imaginary fear you have, and now, instead of being entrusted with more responsibilities around here, you're just stuck with what you started with. The boss stands up and starts pacing back and forth, and it's silent for the briefest of moments as the three employees' eyes follow their boss back and forth, and then he says, you know what? Because I'm crazy with grace, with trust, I'm taking the one million away from you, and I'm giving it to the guy who has ten million dollars. And I'm going to do this to remind you and everyone else who works here that it was never about the results. I mean, don't you see? It was about the gift. All that mattered to me was that you used it, not that you used it well or you used it poorly. You could have, you could have made another million dollars with what I gave you, or you could have made two cents. Hell, you, you could have blown it all on a stupid bet like the second guy almost did, for all I care. At least then you would have been a gambler after my own heart. But you just came in here telling me that I couldn't be trusted with whatever you came up with, and now you're going to have to deal with the consequences. Because if you can't live with my kind of grace-filled generosity, then you can get out of here. So pack up your office. You're fired. The end. This is a parable. It's a parable that is well-suited here at the end of the Christian year. We, that is Christians, we rebel against the trends of the world and the supposed signs of the times of the world because God has remade time in his son, Jesus Christ. Where we are right now, we're not quite all the way to Advent, but the scripture readings from all saints up until Christ the King, which is next week, they start to really hit home a message that, if we're honest, we're not really sure how we're supposed to feel about. I mean, there's a sense of urgency from all saints to Christ the King. I mean, last week we were reading about the five bridesmaids that get stuck outside the wedding feast. Today, the one talented man being kicked out into the outer darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth. It takes a a certain amount of Christian fortitude to, to face the revealed word in the strange new world of the Bible today because all of us are pretty ready to start singing about the most wonderful time of the year. But what What could be so wonderful about the parable of the talents? Because we don't like this parable. We don't like that it's indicative of the fact that most of us feel kind of like the third servant or the employee in the version I just told. Because he's the little guy. He's practical. He's prudent. He's smart to take care of this enormous responsibility that was handed to him. And for all of that care and 
prudent behavior, he gets thrown into the outer darkness. This then isn't at the top of the list of our most beloved parables, you know, because in other places, Jesus told much nicer stories. You know, the one about the, the father who rushes out into the street to welcome home his wayward son, or, or the one with the, the poor little old widow who, who's praised more than all the rich people in worship, or, or even the one where, in order to pay some taxes, Jesus tells the disciples to go fishing, and they're going to find the coin to pay the tax in the fish's mouth. I mean, we like those stories because the last, the least, and the lost become first, best, and found. But we don't like this one. We don't like this story with the man trembling in fear with his one talent in his hand, only to have the master take it from him and kick him out the door. I mean, what do we think of this master? I mean, after all, that's the question that lingers upon completing the story. Sure, we might wonder about what happens to the servant stuck in the outer darkness with the weeping and gnashing of teeth. It certainly isn't going to be good news. But what about the master in the story? Who is he to make such crazy and foolish decisions? Is the master a a hard-hearted, miserable old miser who truly reaps where he doesn't sow? Or is he an extravagant, reckless boss whose faith in his servants is exceeded only by his ridiculous generosity? I mean, remember, he gave them all he had. Is it really so strange that he expected them to be just as reckless with his money as he was with it? Notably, the master of the servants, the slaves, the employees, however you want to put it, he praises the first two for their faith. And the doubling of their talents seems to have more to do with the talents themselves than with the efforts of the the two who put them in. I embellished in my own retelling of the parable today, but in the strange new world of the Bible, all we learn is that they went off and traded. That's it. Without having received all that money in the first place, they wouldn't have been able to do much of anything at all. And then the master, strange enough, has the gall to say in the stories that it would have been better for the one talent in the ground to have been put in a savings account to make a fraction of a percent than to be wasted on nothing. Which, if we're taking the parable seriously, means and implies that the master, our Lord, isn't some bookkeeper looking for the most productive results, but rather he's someone who rejoices in the giving of the gift. As has been said many times by me and by others, the parables are less about us and they are more about the one telling the parables in the first place. It's a story about who God in Christ is. And this parable, this one, the parable of the talents, tells us that in Jesus Christ, grace will always do its job so long as as we trust it. But the guy with the town in the ground, he doesn't trust himself, and he certainly doesn't trust the master. He, to put it very pointedly, has no faith at all. But on the other side, the master, he is foolishly full of faith, giving all of his money away for nothing, just for the sheer joy of giving it away. In the end, That's what all of the parables are about, the reckless and the wondrous gift of God in Christ Jesus. It's the party that's always waiting to pop off, the the one to which we've been invited for no good reason. It's 
It's the fatted calf out on the grill waiting to be consumed by the prodigal who did nothing but come home in faith. It's the, it's the champagne and the caviar for the wedding guests who did nothing but put on the robes that were handed to them by their host. It's the, the full pay for next to no work for a bunch of tomato pickers who just said yes to a ridiculous promise. It's the lost sheep found at the edge of a cliff who was found precisely in its lastness, leastness, lostness, and almost its deadness. But this... Of course, this is a parable of judgment. But the only reason judgment comes at all is the sad fact that there will always be fools who refuse to trust a good thing even when it is handed to them on a silver platter. You know, the final servant covered in dirt from digging up the buried talent, he's afraid of his master. But we needn't be afraid of God. In Christ Jesus, we discover there are no lengths to which God won't go to prove to us that there are no restrictions on the joy he wants to share with us. There's no reason for us to fear God, except, of course, unless we're afraid of having a good time. Jesus, Jesus had some pretty wild ideas about how to run things. He delighted in stories of employees who gave unfair wages, farmers who scattered seeds indiscriminately and all over the place, parents who forgave their undeserving children. And in this parable, the master delights in giving it all away just to see what the servants will do with it. And the master, that's the Lord we worship. That's who God is. How odd. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we confess our selfishness and our unwillingness to, to so use the talents you have bestowed upon us. To today we pray that you might give us the courage and the conviction to not hide those things in the dirt, but instead to live risky and reckless lives all for the sake of your kingdom. For after all, that's exactly what you did for us. And all God's people say, Amen. One of the things that sort of stings about the parable of the talents is that upon the master's return, all of the servants face the exact same question. It's a question that all of us must face, whether we want to or not. What have you done with what you've been given? It's, it's notable that in the English rendering of the story, the talent, you know, we use that to talk about like things that we're good at, but it's also just fundamentally a story about, about money. <laughs> uh, thinking about the money that God has given to us and asking ourselves, what have we done with it? This is not an easy thing for us to do but it's something that we have to do. Uh, for as Christians, we know and believe that all that we have was first given to us by God. And as Christians, we respond to those things that God has given, in particular with our money, by giving it back to God. So we have heard what God has said, God has gathered us together, and we respond now with the giving of ourselves, our talents, our, our money. So I encourage you to give to the ministries of Cooksbury United Methodist Church. You may do so by uh, giving online. The link for doing so is in the video description. You can write a check and send it through the mail to the church, or you can, if you live locally, uh, bring your offering by. Uh, in person, we have a drop slot by the main office doors. But we are God's people.
God has given generously to us, and we give generously now to God. Another way that we like to respond to what God has said uh, to God gathering us together is by affirming our faith using something like the Apostles' Creed. So I encourage you to now join me as we affirm our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. With that, I would like to offer you this blessing and this benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, help you to see that so much has been given and there's still so much left to be done. So be it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. I look forward to gathering with you again next week, same time, same place, to hear the conclusion of the politics of Jesus. Go in peace. Be well. Amen. 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 I am thine, O Lord, I have heard thy voice and have told thy love to me. But I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to thy precious precious bleeding side consecrate me now to thy service lord by the power of grace divine let my soul look up with a steadfast hope and my will be lost in thine draw me nearer nearer blessed lord to the cross where thou hast died draw me To thy precious bleeding son. Oh, the pure delight of a single hour that before thy throne I spend. When I kneel in prayer and with thee, my God, I commune as friend with friend. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me near. Lord, to 
thy precious bleeding side. There are depths of love that I cannot know till I cross the narrow sea. There are heights of joy that I may not reach till I rest in peace with thee. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to thy precious feet.